Do you like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good Saturday morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White, Bert Deister with you. And uh, I am soon to be on my way, Bert, on a little... I can't quite call it a beer trip because it's not the reason we're going, but it's not not the reason we're going. But I'm going to Vermont. Usually refer to those as a pilgrimage. Okay, right. It's like a. uh... I'm calling it a fall foliage trip that I've got coming soon, uh, and there happens to be beer there. You know, Vermont is very much well known for a lot of uh, breweries that you know we see a lot of beers from there. The very famous, the Alchemist is famous. You know, everybody goes to Vermont and comes back with. Whatever. Some heady topper. Heady, right, exactly. Sip of sunshine, all that and stuff. begins to trade them with their friends for any other yeah, exclusive yeah. beer. And I don't know that I'm going to be doing that necessarily. Uh, you know, we'll probably go to breweries, drink some beers. Should I bring some back? Maybe, but from what I'm gathering, I'm hearing, I don't know. That sometimes you got to wait. Scary stories of going to a brewery and waiting for hours and hours and hours. And then maybe not even getting the exclusive beer that you were waiting for. Um, I think this is uh, something that some beer aficionados love and other ones hate. Um, I have to put myself on the I'm not too fond of it side of the spectrum. Um, waiting for a beer in line like a concert ticket or a movie ticket, I just could never see myself doing it. Yeah. Like I'll walk into the brewery and drink that beer and any friend that I was going to promise it to when I brought home, like, hey, sorry, man, it's my vacation. I do want to wait two and a half hours for your beer. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to drink that beer, you can you can make this trip. So and I have a lot of friends, I got to say, that do make these pilgrimages go. They wait in line. They bring back beers. Uh, and I thank them very much. I don't quite have the patience for it. Yeah. You know, for me, that you know, whether a beer is good or great depends not only on the quality of the beer, but the time and place. And after waiting around for two to three hours, I don't know if it will still be the right time and place. Well... So, I'm excited about New England-style IPAs. I don't know why I'm, like, drifting there. Maybe because, like, New England-style IPA isn't exactly a fall beer, but it kind of is a fall beer. Like, you know, I think fall, I think stouts, I think ambers. I, we talk about Oktoberfests and all that. But maybe it's just a connection of fall is best in the Northeast. Well, so the beers thing, from the Northeast feel right. That's a good argument. But the other time, too, I think that there's a little bit of the New England IPA uh, overstepping its season, overstepping its, you know, it, it's been a little bit, I don't want to call it a fad. I don't think New England IPAs are going anywhere fast. They're going to be around for a long time. Um, but at the same time, they've kind of started to, everything is fruity, juicy IPA season. Now. Yeah. So session IPAs in the summer, you know, big New England IPAs with, you know, big juicy and citrus mouth feels in the fall. And then you move on to, um, you know, piney and dark in the winter. Not every season is necessarily an IPA season. Or if it could be, maybe it shouldn't because we're kind of losing a lot of those other beers. And even in the, you know, the, the homebrew and, and a brewer supply chain, we're starting to see some of these hops and ingredients that are really popular in these New England beers start to kind of push out some other ingredients. So U.S. Northern Brewer, no longer available for packaging. Um, because YCH, while the, the market hasn't exploded quite like the demand for some of the hops, um, they have to kind of make, you know, cut measures. And U.S. Northern Brewer, one of my favorite hops, is going to be one of the ones cut to make way for new hops. Mm. So is that a good thing? I guess we'll find out. You, you would probably say, no, it's not. I don't think so. 
I don't think so. I think, you know, U.S. Northern Brewer is one of the, the classic American hops that's used in a lot of West Coast pale ales and steam beers. Um, and it's kind of getting pushed out because we need more hops that kind of all taste a little bit similar. Yeah, and it's not going to go extinct. It's just not going to be in such wide distribution. You won't be able to get it, and then, especially as a homebrew level. As a commercial brewer, you'd be able to contract for it, especially if you go direct to a farm. But as a home brewer, it's going to be really hard to get your hands on Which might mean you should buy all of it you possibly can. Yes, because now it's exclusive. And freeze the – how long can you freeze them for? Years, years. Uh, freeze the heck out of all of it, and then in three years when it comes back because – that's how beer goes. Yep. Uh, profit. Profit. Sell it. All right. Well, anyway, a uh, couple things. Wait come- a minute. That's my game. Oh, right. Exactly. Yeah, right. Hold on. Yeah, you should do that. I'm supposed to do that. All right. So last week we talked about how to make your extract beers better. If you want to find that, every episode is on demand at uh, WGR550.com and ESPN1520. We've also pointed out that we're coming up on, in a couple weeks, uh, Learn to Homebrew Day. Yes. And so this has come, become the bigger holiday of the two homebrew holidays. Even though there's a national homebrew day and then learn to homebrew day, let's just admit that learn to homebrew day is at a better time of year. It's you know kind of going into the fall, going into the cold weather, into the time of year where most people tend to start brewing or kind of start again. Um, so over the years, this has become the more popular homebrew holiday. Uh, at the store, we'll be celebrating with our 11 a.m. beginning brewing class. If you want to sign up for that, you're going to have to check online for tickets. We should be putting them up this week. Um, and then we'll have a tasting and demo at 1.30. So if you want to try some new beers, if you want some people to kind of help you analyze one of your beers, or you've been thinking about getting into all-grain brewing and just want to see somebody do it in front of you, this is your chance to come on in. And if you just want to come in and try some beers, we got plenty on tap. And tickets available at nthomebrew.com, as you mentioned? Got it. All right. Very good. That's Saturday, November 4th, 11 a.m., beginning brewing demo. And, again, check online for tickets. The tasting and demo is at 1.30. Uh, anything new regarding the store, whether it's the for monster accessories or drafting supplies? We have those. We have some of the new 74-gram CO2 cylinders and mini regulators in stock. So if you bought one of those for convenience, um, they are about the same price as a small you know, CO2 cylinder and regular regulator, but they only weigh about a pound or two. So they're really convenient. You can fit them in your pocket. We carry the regulators. We also carry the accessories to join them onto whatever keg type you need. And we also have the replacement CO2 cylinders. These are great. The 74 gram CO2 cylinders are kind of replacing the old 16 gram CO2 cylinders, which just not enough CO2 to really push out you know, one keg, let alone a couple. Um, and with those other cylinders, you did not have presser regulation because there was no regulator set up to hold one of those small 16-gram CO2 cylinders. So this mini CO2 setup is a CO2 setup that can fit in your pocket, give you long-lasting CO2, but also you get that pressure regulation. So in the long run, if it's serving a little too foamy, a little too soft, you can go over there, dial it in really quick, and you don't have to worry about anybody screwing with it kind of with some of the old 16-gram systems. If mm-hmm. somebody touched it just a little bit, they could quickly go from under carbonation and no pressure to putting 16 grams of liquid CO2 directly into the beer, and you were overpressured. So this is a lot easier to use. It's a little bit more expensive, but we've seen the kind of rise in popularity. So we are carrying them in stock. They're not special order anymore, and we always have the CO2 cylinders in stock if you already have one and need a quick replacement. Okay. Stock on uh, your hops these days. Good. Very good. You know, still have Northern Brewer, but we also have Galaxy, Nelson, Savin, 
um, and a lot of the other kind of Roku Idaho 7, a lot of the new kind of stone fruit and juicy hops. So if you're looking for something like that, we got it in stock and we still have all the classics we can get our hands on. So we have all the big Hollerataus, we have all the big Noble hops, we have every classic American sea hop and every new one we can get our hands on. We carry over 100 varieties of hops, so um, we have something for you to pick from. Very good. And as something we've mentioned before, wine or cider makers, if anyone is uh, tuning in this week, you may have missed a wine show or a cider show. Uh, those would be available on demand. But you guys have everything you need for that as well. Yeah. And so if you're already a beer maker, wine maker, you probably have most of the equipment you have. You might need a little capper, a corker, maybe a straining bag. We have everything separately and together as kits if you're just starting out fresh. So if you want to start out fresh, anywhere from you know $40 to $100, you can have all the equipment you need. Just go out and pick up some fresh pressed juice and you'll be all set to go. Around here in Western New York, there's lots of places where you can get your hands on some fresh juice and it's a wonderful thing we can do seasonally. Again, this is local. Take advantage of it and you can get yourself some cheap cider. You're really kind of just paying for the juice and the yeast. So if you're getting juice at $5, you know, $4 a gallon, you're basically getting fresh, you know, farmhouse cider at 4 to $5 a gallon. And on for today's show, we'll take a break before we get into the actual meat of it, but what's what's coming up? We're talking about infections. So we've talked about how to prevent infections and stuff like that. And now we're kind of going to talk about what you have to do if you get one. Um, this is not a fun topic, not something that a lot of home brewers like to admit to. And I have to admit, if I've had a batch, I think it's had an infection, I can, you know, trace down what the infection is. I don't serve it to people. I don't drink through that mistake. I dump it. And so it's kind of the failure that a lot of home brewers don't want to talk about. But if you don't talk about it, you can't really fix it. So we're going to face up to it today. That's on the way, tracking down and eliminating an infection. Jeremy White, Burt Deister, happy Saturday, happy fall. Again, National uh, Learn to Homebrew Day, Saturday, November 4th. You can pick up your tickets for the uh, demo and all that, the class, at uh, nthomebrew.com. Tracking down and eliminating infections next here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means... Either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply, 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Niagara Traditions Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White and Bert Deister. All right, so we're going to track down and eliminate infections here in our second segment and uh, make sure that every home brewer out there knows what to look for and what to do about it. Yeah, and I, I guess this is kind of one of the, you know, hard and embarrassing subjects for brewers because it's almost a, a dig on a brewer's sanitization because we talk about it as the most important part of the hobby is really a dig on the brewer yourself. And the other thing is we talk about hoppings, we talk about getting, you know, certain flavors out of specialty malts or tricking yeast into giving us certain, you know, esters. Um, infection is one thing in home brewing and commercial brewing as well where it's kind of just black and white. Either your beer is not infected 
or it's infected. So if you make an IPA and you overhop it, you don't really consider that a failure because you're still going to drink it. You're probably still going to like it, and you'll make it again. You'll add a little bit less hops. Um, with the infection, it's not quite the same way. You end up with a good beer. You like that beer. Then as it sits there, it slowly starts to develop a couple different flavors. So you could get up Britannomyces or other types of molds. So you might get um, musty or kind of basement or like I hate to say it, old gym bag like aromas. You could also get bacteria as well, which may start to produce more often than not acids like citric acid, acetic acid. And so they'll turn it into some type of a sour like vinegar beverage. So these are both obvious failures. You know, unless you were making a lambic, unless you were making some type of Flanders red, this was not intended. It's not what you were looking for. No matter how good it may taste with the addition of light amounts of citric acid and a little bit of funk, if it wasn't at all what you were intending, you're really not going to be happy with it. And let me say, it happens to the best of us. Um, I've had infective beers, not just one, I've had multiple over the years. Um, there usually is kind of a pattern to it. You can often see it coming once you've been doing it for a while, but these microbes are everywhere. Um, I think it's important for brewers to admit and realize that we say sanitize, not sterilize, meaning that we kind of know that we're not getting all of the microbes out of there. We're getting, you know, 99.9% .9 or better, but we're not getting all of them. And if you have some around, given enough time, given some nutrients, they are going to begin to consume and multiply, and they're going to build an infection. So I guess we could say that you know, a beer has really become infected, not when it has a couple of loose microbes in it, but when those microbes are given the right conditions to kind of grow and reproduce. Mm -hmm. um, and depending on how much time you put into sanitizing, the odds are always in your favor, but there always are those slim odds against you. So first of all, if you've got an infection, don't oh. consider it a total failure unless you throw everything away and don't use this as a learning experience. Um, there's no reason why you can't get through 50, 100 batches without ever seeing an infection. Um, but I think you always have to kind of, you know, think in the back of the head that you're not immune to it, that your house does have microbes in it, that the air around you has microbes in it, your tap water has some microbes in it, and they're going to find your way into the beer. But the more you do to kind of mitigate their ability to kind of grow and reproduce, the less likely you are to see an infection. So let's kind of start to talk about some of the things we do. And the first thing that when anybody gets an infection, they want to know where they can point the finger of blame. Um, and the only kind of area we can point the finger of blame to is post-boil. There's no need to go back and start worrying about any equipment or in stuff that comes before the boil. When we boilize it, we pasteurize it. We do sterilize it at that point. Um, so therefore, we can kind of eliminate a lot of potential vectors, mash tun, kettle, boiling bags, but also your ingredients. And I, I don't know why, because I think with a little bit of thought, you can often say that, well, the ingredients, if we just talked about they're used pre-boil, everything gets pasteurized, you can't blame your ingredients for infection. You can maybe, maybe sometimes blame your yeast, because that's the one thing you're just putting in there unpasteurized, or your dry hops, but more often than not, it's not going to be either of those two. Anything else is a potential vector from your, you know, chilling apparatus, your wort transfer horses, your fermenters, your kegs, your racking equipment, your bottles, um, your caps, 
everything could be a potential um, vector for an infection. And if you've got an infection, you're going to want to either clean or replace every single piece of equipment to a higher standard than you previously were. And I guess this is where the learning comes in when you get an infection, mm -hmm. that even though you've been through 50 batches and you haven't gotten an infection yet, if you want better than one in 50 odds, you got to do a better job. Um, and I think that's where I've kind of learned with my different is I've always really put a lot of focus into sanitizing, but there's been a few times where, especially for me, it's when I leave beer around, it's the beer I don't drink. It's the beer that ends up sitting in a keg or sitting in bottles and um, it wasn't a strong beer. It wasn't one meant for aging. Um, and I wasn't too happy with it. And because of that, I make another beer and I kind of push this one aside. And as it slowly sits there, those microbes have more time and they begin to, you know, work at those nutrients and they start to produce those off flavors. So we're going to clean and sanitize all the equipment that touches the wort post-boil. And because we're going to clean and sanitize all that equipment, sadly, we're never going to have any one point in the process to point the flinger of blame. Because what are you going to do? Are you going to clean one element? Are you and just going to clean again. your fermenter right, brew right. again? And, oh, you know what I right. mean? The, the now let me replace the racking hose. And, oh, the mission isn't again. to find the culprit. The mission is to just make sure it never happens again. You got it. So we're going to clean and sanitize everything. Um, and the other thing is we're going to change up our cleansers and our sanitizers. And this is something, I guess, the first time I learned. Um, change your cleansers and your sanitizers every once in a while. Different cleaners do better against kind of different elements. So, you know, our Be Bright and PBW and One Step, they do great against beer stone and kind of those organic elements. If you have like water precipitates and things like those, you're going to want to move to more maybe an acidic-based cleaner like citric acid or something like that. And then the same thing goes for the sanitizers. Star sand, really good against bacteria. Not so great against mold and particularly mold spores. Um, iodine, Really good, but only for a short period of time. Bleach, really good with everything, um, but also extremely difficult and cumbersome to use. So I'm not going to suggest using bleach for every single batch, but if you've had an infection and you've been using star sand or you've been using iodine, switch it up to bleach. And if you, you know, every once in a while when you switch it up from bleach, go back to, you know, iodine. Switch back and forth. Um, different cleansers, different sanitizers are going to do a better job at cleaning different bits of scum, but also killing different microbes. So use different sanitizers when you can, when you think of it. I would also suggest kind of writing down in your notes what cleanser, what sanitizer you use. So when you have an infection, you can go back and use a different one next time. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to scrub all these surfaces. Um, I think this is something that's lost on, again, a lot of newer brewers because they trust, and I think you should trust well, in all the new cleaners and sanitizers out there. Um, some of them do have aggregates to kind of, as you slosh it around, kind of create some physical cleansing action. But every once in a while, it's still important to get in there and scrub everything. It, you can end up with a you know precipitate that will kind of shield not only your cleansers against getting at anything underneath it. So if you have calcium carbonate, potassium bicarbonate, um, kind of over top of your surface, they're going to be hiding underneath them. Not only you know like beer stone, but that's going to contain all of our microbes and stuff like that. So you need to physically get in and clean everything, which is something that I know that I personally don't do enough. Um, I often just take my carboys, rinse them out, kind of swirl some Be Bright in there, rinse them out, and put them away. 
and it's stuff like that that is going to you say lower my odds but there's a kind of a trade to this mm-hmm. you can't do surgical standards every single time um, you don't need it because nobody's going to die if you have an infection you know, in the surgery room they have to take care of all those steps at home if you do screw this up just remember nobody's going to die you'll end up with a lot of salad dressing okay <laughs> so don't be afraid the next thing we're going to do and this is i think where people often turn to is we're going to look for damaged or warned equipment and the first thing i'm going to go to is anything plastic especially buckets um or racking hoses if you feel any of these surfaces and they feel like they're becoming slightly furrowed or they feel like when you rub your fingers up against them you may be getting a little bit of a residue coming off there a little bit of the plastic or the liner inside the buckets chances are it's time to replace that plastic equipment you can try cleaning it once especially with the citric acid to make sure it's not a precipitate but chances are you need to replace it. Um, replacing your racking tube, bucket, airlock, hose, you're looking at about $22. If you're doing a $40 to $70 batch of beer and you're going to be doing a bunch more in rapid succession, bite that bullet, replace whatever you feel comfortable with, You know, whatever you can afford, replace that, um, especially the racking hose. That's often one in racking tube. You can't uh, clean out very well. We do sell brushes, but they still only do so great of a job. And every time you brush something, you are kind of putting more scratches, more furrows into that surface. Um, so you want to worry a little bit about that. Um, replace the racking tube, replace the hose. The hose is less than a buck. If it looks gross, every bit of your beer will pass through that hose. You get a lot of surface area, replace it. Um, next thing, and I know we talk about this a lot, is take care of your yeast. If you take care of your yeast, they're really going to kind of dominate. They're going to be the dominant culture right off the bat. And they say most infections actually happen during the lag time of fermentation. So that time before the yeast can actually start fermenting, start producing sulfur oxides. So if you can get more yeast, get them to start. So if you you do a bigger starter, um, you're going to have more cells. If you can aerate more, they're going to start faster those two things combined should really lower your chance of infection. Because you're really kind of infecting the beer with a positive microbe. Mm-hmm. And they're going to use up all those nutrients, all that oxygen, so that there's really not much left, or at least not at a high density, for any bacteria or Britannomyces to take over later. And so, again, taking care of your yeast is always a big part of the process. And the next part is don't forget about your beer. Rack on time. When you keep a beer in a bucket, it's not a perfect sealed fermenter. If it's sitting on the tub, that's a bunch of spent protein and dead yeast cells. You want to get it off there. Not only is it going to create esters or phenols and, you know, fuchsial alcohols over time, it's also nutrients that can be kind of infected by bacteria. So pull the beer off the primary fermentation as soon as you've seen, like, all fermentation cease, as soon as you've seen any acetaldehyde or apple leaf flavors or diacetyl go away quickly move that beer over to a secondary and when you put it in a secondary don't forget about there keep checking on it make sure it doesn't develop a pellicle mold or anything like that even though those don't really change the flavor of the beer too much they are definitely um not visually appealing well, i and remember not appetizing one you of just, the first things i did was i got a pellicle mold and i, I put a phone call into you like this looks like it's not supposed to be happening. Yeah. I was making something with uh, the cocoa nibs and a white 
fuzzy substance showed up. Mycelium. Yeah. Probably. And, and a little bit creamy in color. You yeah. know, not quite the long, hairy molds that you'll see on bread or something like that. Um, and it, it doesn't really change the flavor much. Sadly, is once you give it a chance to grow once, so if you did a rack, you added some fresh cocoa nibs, um, their spores would have been on there, and then they begin to grow in that little bit of oxygen that's in the neck of the car buoy. Um, you can try to take the oxygen away. You can move it over a couple of times. But like I said, once they're there, they're there. You can't repasteurize the beer, or at least you, not with not a lot of effort. Um, so you want to try to prevent these to begin with. And then the next thing is drink your beer. If it's a light beer, if it's not a big, hoppy, you know what I mean, barley wine or Russian Imperial Stout, try to drink through that beer. I do like keeping a cellar, but the one thing I've learned over oh. the years is there's kind of certain beers that cellar well, and those are beers that are over 8% alcohol and over 70 IBUs. Um, while like something like a New England IPA, while it isn't really hoppy, or I'm sorry, it is really hoppy, it's still not a beer you want to age, although it could take it without getting infected, mm -hmm. it's going to lose flavor. So there's really kind of certain styles that do well old ale you know like any you know really any burton ale of higher alcohol barley wines russian imperial stouts um these big scottish you know 90 shilling ales these big beers really age well and partially because they have a lot of alcohol and a lot of alpha acid to prevent infection and one thing i always tell new brewers and i, I guess to new brewers this is an easier task is if you just brew one beer when it's ready, drink it all, and then move on to the next. You could be getting infections every single batch and never know it. You will never have any ill health effects. You'll never taste it because none of these components will become a parts per million where you'll actually be able to taste it. But if you let the beer sit around, and if you think you are starting to notice a little bit of twang, chill the beer down. I'll slow down microbe production and drink it all because you want to beat those microbes to those nutrients yeah would you say what percentage of infections are a direct result of the racking process like that seems to be where, where you can introduce if, if you've been listening to this show and you are still sucking on your racking hose to start your siphons i'm sorry we failed you don't suck on your siphons don't let your beer splash and aerate during racking those are the two main culprits for late infections. If, if you had a beer get through primary, you tasted it, it's, you know, secondary. When you racked it, it tastes great. You go to bottle it and something's gone wrong. I'm almost more than willing to bet that it was the either racking process or the siphon hose that did you in. Yep. So replace those, get an auto siphon, you know, get a little bit closer to the sink so you can fill up and prime your siphon. But more than likely or not, that's where your infection has come from. All right, very good. That's it for us. Thanks for listening to Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. Tickets for the uh, National Learn to Homebrew Day, the class and tasting and brewing demo, all that going on Sunday, November 4th. For more information, go to nthomebrew.com. You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.